are glad Jesus told stories. I mean, I can get it. You can get it. Everybody can get it. So pay attention. I'm going to read the entire thing, and then let's see if you get it at the end because I'm going to ask you some questions. So I'm going to read it right now. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who have been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Go ahead and underline that. That will be important. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat and cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. Underlying that, he was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Come on, underline that. That's important. They did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man was there not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friends? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not where you want to go. And let's read verse 14 together. One, two, three. For many are invited, but few are chosen. All right, let's go back to the top and see if we get this. It's a very simple parable. There's a king. He has a son. He's preparing for the wedding banquet, the party. How many like wedding parties? Come on. Man, I have never seen y'all get down like at a wedding. I mean, there is nothing like it. Church folk at wedding, let it out. I mean, I can tell you that right there, man. Y'all let it out. And I love to try to learn to do all the dances. I try to do the merengue, the salsa, the whatever, the, the line dancing, man. But I stink at all of it. But I love watching you have fun. That's what I have fun doing. Anybody else like to just watch them have fun? I feel like I'm watching, you know, uh, you think you can dance or a show like that. Or what's the one where they would do the ballroom one? Dancing with the stars. There we go. I feel like I'm watching that show. Okay. It's simple. Y'all got it right there. It's a king. He has a son. He has a wedding banquet. He invites people. The first group doesn't come. He then says, I got room. Go out and invite everybody. Those people come. But let's fill in the blanks now. Who is the king according to Jesus in the story? Who? I got about half of you saying the father. Did the rest of you agree with them? It's the father. Jesus wants you to get this. He doesn't want it to be complicated. He wants you to understand who the king is. The king is the father. Now, we believe God is the father, son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but three distinct persons sharing the same nature of God. Just how we all share the nature of humanity. We're different persons, but we're all humans. God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, separate persons, but it's all sharing divinity. The only difference between that example and how God's nature is, is they are inseparable. For us, we are separable. We can separate us. We're not conjoined twins. Aren't you happy about that? We are separable, but God in his persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're not. 
And God is a greater being than us, so we would expect him to have a greater nature than us. When God in the beginning said, let us, plural, let us make mankind in our own image, that was the Father speaking to the Son with the Holy Spirit. And when they made us in their image, he made us male and female, multiple persons. And then male and female were commanded to have babies. So if you had a father, a mother, and a child, you represented the Trinity. And that's what the family was put here for. Now, sometimes people try to be smart and they go, well, if the father is like an earthly father and the son is like an earthly son, does that make the Holy Spirit the mother? the feminine spirit of God, you know, the things like that. But that's not true. Don't take the example beyond what it's meant to be. What we see in the beginning is that God is a complex unity. He's speaking to others saying, let us. And by the way, we weren't made in the image of angels. He could not have been talking to Gabriel. You're more like Jesus than you're like Gabriel. Are you listening? So he was talking to him with in the God nature, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so that's why we have the, the family. The family is complex unity. The king is the father. Now, who is the son? Jesus. Jesus. Say it like you're up. Who's the son? Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. Jesus is the son. Now, who's the bride? We are. I'm getting married to a man, y'all. Come on. And it's not gross because it's not sexual. The whole idea, get this, was that humanity... The family created by God in his image would be in union with divinity. Humanity created for union with divinity. Put that on Facebook. That was your purpose. But Adam and Eve sinned and got kicked out, so we kind of filed for a divorce. But did he leave us that way? No, the Father so loved the world that he sent the Son. The Son so loved us, he gave his life for us. And the Holy Spirit so loved us that he's come and remade us and made us new. And so we get to be married again. We get to be in unification with God again. And so the purpose of that is not sexuality. It's an image. What is more intimate than a man and a woman? There is no other example of that. There, you know, there's nothing that a man and a woman should not share with each other. And part of the marriage bond is to have someone you are intimate and close with. And yes, reproduction and sex and all of that comes out of that. But most importantly, it's relationship. How many of you have had sex before but didn't have relationship? Let's all be honest in here. And how many know that relationship, even if you can't have sex, is better than sex at times? Let's just say at times. But if you can get both relationship and sex, that's the best of both worlds. That's heaven on earth. And guess what? God doesn't have to have sex with humanity to express his great joy and love and all of those things because sex is a physical way of experiencing joy and all of those things. God goes much, 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 much deeper than that. And as much as I love my wife and the beautiful union we get to have, my union with God is much more joyful. If I didn't have my union with God, I couldn't live. I couldn't live without his presence. And so this is the parable. Jesus wants to marry us. Where was Jesus' first miracle done in the book of John? At a wedding. What is the last thing he does when he comes on the earth after Armageddon? Has a wedding and we celebrate. That's what he's talking about. But we see something here. Those who were invited refused to come. Does it say they didn't have an invitation? 
No, it says they got the invitation, but they refused to come. I want everybody to get this today. If anyone goes to hell, it is because they chose to go there. If we see the illustration as the father being the king, Jesus being the son, and us being the bride, we're also supposed to see ourselves as the guest. We're going to celebrate at our own wedding. Can I hear an amen to that? And so we're supposed to be inviting the world with us to be the bride and the guests, and we are to willingly, joyfully come, but people don't. Now, in this story, who is Jesus specifically referring to as those who don't want to come? No, not the sinners, the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people are what the Old Testament is all about, and they've had their opportunities time and time again, and they are failing at coming to Jesus. Now, because of that, we're going to hear in this story that others get to come, others like us who are non-Jewish people. So because they messed up, the world gets the opportunity to come to the party. But is it over for the Jewish people? Not at all. We don't become anti-Semitic. That is stupid. Anybody that's anti-Semitic and calls themselves a Christian is a certain kind of fool. Jesus was Jewish, y'all. All the people of your Bible are Jewish. How can you hate Jews and call yourself a Christian? It don't make no sense, okay? Anti-Semitism is wrong and will send you to hell. Now, how are we to biblically look at the Jewish people? They had been disciplined by God for refusing to come in their time. They lost their temple. Jesus is going to predict in Matthew 24 that because they refused him, now they will be exiled out of their land, their temple will be destroyed, and they will not be entering back into their land as independent people until the time of the end. And guess what? In 1948, Israel came back into their land as an independent people. We are in the last moments of the last days. We'll get to that in just a little bit. So the Gentiles are the other group we're going to get to. But right now, we're talking about the Jews. So as we go to four and onward, we see that the king says, tell them that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened cattle have been butchered. How many know God's not a vegetarian? How many are thankful for that? Amen. How many know humans can eat all kinds of animals, including your dog? Are you listening to me? We live in a crazy time where some reason people have started to call their dogs their children. Your dog is not your child. That's a child, my friend. A child, let me help you, is in your image. You are not in the image, nor is that in the image of you, a canine, right? And I know we tease like this, and some of you say that, and you don't take it very serious. But, but listen, our culture has so devalued life that we will spend countless dollars at the veterinarian clinic to save an animal but kill our own children in the womb. Do you understand why there's a hell, my friends? We've lost our God-given mind when we don't understand what's going on. Now, it's up to you if you want to eat a giraffe or not. You don't have to. It's up to you whether you want to eat a chimpanzee or not. But the biblical worldview is very simple. You're not related to the animals, therefore you can eat them. 
Now, those who get offended by that and say, no, I really want to believe I am an animal. I came from the goo through the zoo to you. I'm a part of the chain. Well, then nothing's wrong with cannibalism then, is, uh, cannibalism then right? Because if dogs can eat dogs, if animals can eat animals, then I can eat you then, Right? Oh, no, society says it's wrong. Oh, you hypocrite, you. When did we start listening to society? Last time I checked, the lion didn't check with the other lions. It just got hungry and started eating whatever it could get away with eating. It's something how people want to make us Christians look dumb when really the joke's on them. The argument they use against us really just turns around against them. We're the ones that really have the right to eat animals because we don't think we are one. And the reason why we don't eat humans is because humans are a sacred creation of God. Now, let me just say this. If you want to be a vegan and a vegetarian, it's weird, but we'll still love you. Just don't try to make us feel guilty when we come to the party with a whole slab of meat and ask you to move your soy burger over a little bit so that we can fit our lechon all up on there, our pork chop, and our steaks on there. And here's the reason why. My God's a meat eater. He loves meat, though he doesn't have a body in heaven, the Father or the Spirit. But when Jesus was on earth, he ate the lamb, he ate the different meat. And the Bible literally says that when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth and we celebrate and rule and reign for a thousand years over literal people, the Bible says there'll be, the, in the book of Isaiah, the finest of meats and the finest of wines. And we don't have to worry then about getting drunk or being obese. The Bible says we'll feast. And then after that, those of you who have skipped ahead, you are right. After that, we all become vegans and vegetarians. The Bible says he'll recreate the heavens and the earth. We'll go back to the state of the Garden of Eden. The lion will lay down with the lamb, and they won't have to be looking at us out the corner of their eye going, who's eating me today? Uh, no, that will be restored. But during this time, animal sacrifice and eating the animals is a part of the party, and I'm happy about that. But it says they did not want to come. Look at what it says in verse 5. They paid no attention and went off. Now, does it say when they paid no attention and they went off, one went to go sell crack and heroin, and the other one went to go rob and steal? No, look at what it says they did. One went to his field. How many know if you're a farmer, your field's important? That's like you going to your job. The other one said, another took care of their business. I have business over here. I have to go and do these things. What do we see Jesus telling us here? You can be a good person and still go to hell. Because good people aren't really good unless they're God's kind of people. The difference between godly people and good people is godly people are not trying to just themselves, justify themselves by comparing what they do to others. I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Godly people admit their sin and put God first. See, these people didn't think they really needed the party. They didn't think they needed to go. Oh, the king called me. Nah, I don't need to go. How many know if a king called you, you know you're going? <laughs> Like how many have seen the different ones? What is it like, the princess bride, the different shows or about kings and kings? What's the one where she found out she was a princess? I'm looking at my wife. Diaries. Princess Diaries. That's what I was thinking about. How many know that's like really fun to think about? What if I am a princess? What if I am, you know? You should be happy. We should be happy to get the invitation. But these people had no honor for the king. You see, this is... Uh, 
a kind of a good example in our day and age. I'm not saying that I agree with every president I've had to, to honor since I've been uh, on, this, uh, on this country, on this earth, but I've had to honor them because I know that honoring the king, honoring the president is a part of how I show respect. And so I would say, even if you disagree with Donald Trump, he's still your president. I disagreed with Obama, but he was still my president. And if Hillary Clinton would have won, I would have honored her because we need to learn to honor people. We can disagree. We can have all of our disagreements. That's fine. We live in a country where we can voice those. But we need to learn to honor people. You, you know, you need to learn to honor police officers. Not every police officer is bad, and you ought to honor them. It'll go better for you. You should honor your boss, even if you don't like your boss. The least these people could have done was honor their king and said, I'll come. You're my king. Sounds like he's a good king. I'll come. But they didn't. They dishonored him, and I just wonder how many are here today dishonoring the king, saying, oh, I got to work. Can't go to life groups this week, Pastor. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. The Bible says what he does to these people. It says he was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed them and burned their cities. Is it God's fault that the busy bee goes to hell? No, because listen to me, everybody. What is hell? When we talk about this, they get burned, as we're going to see in a little bit. They get cast out into outer darkness. What is hell? Hell is the choice for you not to be married to Jesus. That's what it is. And you get to make that choice. I don't want to be married to Jesus. That is your choice. You don't have to go. You don't have to get married to him. He is not going to kidnap you in a white van, slam the door, and then drive you off. Come on, we got him, angels. Go. He's not doing that to us. But here's the deal. You make the choice. He makes the consequences. And here are the consequences to us rejecting God and his wedding and being a part of his family is we don't get to go where it feels good. Because where do feel goods come from? Feel good feelings. We feel good. Well, we say endorphins and all of that. But where does the soul feel good? And these intangibles called joy and peace and all of that. Well, what is hell? Hell is where God is not. Well, if God's not there, is peace going to be there? Is love going to be there? Is sanity going to be there? No. And what is it going to feel like when you're there? It's going to feel like fire to your flesh and to your soul, gnashing of teeth, the Bible says. And the people who go there can't blame God because they literally said in their life, I'm too busy for you, God. I've got other things I have to do. And God says, that's your choice. So you can kind of look at it at the end of your life. It's going to be one of two things. You're either going to sing the song of Frank Sinatra and say, I did it my way. And God's going to go, yes, you did. Now go off to hell. Or you're going to say, not my will, but your will be done. And he's going to say, wonderful. Come on in. Join the party. Everybody get this. It was never something they were fated to do. It was always their choice. Going back to the Jewish people, was it fated that they would be disregarded by God? Was it God playing eeny, meeny, miny, moe and being harsh to them? No, it was God giving them a choice and they chose not to have him. Let's keep going to verse 8 and review here. It then says, uh, you know, he looks around and goes, I got a lot of space because they did not deserve to come. And how do we deserve something that's freely given to us? It almost sounds like it doesn't fit. 
I deserved your free gift. I deserved that invitation. But Jesus is teaching us a lesson. Think about it. How do you deserve something that you got for free? You couldn't pay for it. I mean, think about my children. When they get gifts at Christmas time or for their birthday, they can't pay for it. They could never earn it. But how can they deserve it if they willingly receive it? What should have been those people's response? They should have been like, man, I get to go to the king's party? I can't wait. Is it right now? Because I want to go right now. Can I come early? I want to come. I mean, I just want to go right now. Is that horse for me so we can go? I want to hop on that horse and go right now. Can I bring some of my friends? I want to bring my friends because they're not going to believe this. That should have been their heart because that heart is a deserving heart. It's a free gift. Neither one of them is earning it, but one of them is deserving it. How do you and I show we deserve the free gift of salvation? By receiving it. Going, I receive what you have for me. Sometimes people get really upset with me and they say, well, let me, let me understand this, pastor. Let me understand it. You mean God knows who's going to heaven or hell before he ever creates us? Yep. And he says that he gives us a choice so he knows I'm going to make the right choice or the wrong choice. Yep. And if I make the wrong choice and I go to hell and he knows that he'll still create me even though he knows I'm going to go to hell? Yep. Why? Because he's God and you're not. Now, you can fight with him, but let me just help you understand some things about him. Uh, the first thing is he doesn't care what you think. He's not changing his mind. Uh, the second thing is you exist. Do you exist or not? So you're already here. What's your last option? You might as well play by his rules. You can say, I don't like it. You can say, I wish I was never created. I don't like being in his chess match. Why is it all about him? And if I don't want him, I go to hell. I just wish I was never created. Well, you can wish upon a star as long as you want, but you're here now. What if I blow out my brains? Well, I'll just send you to hell quicker. You still exist after you blow out your brains because you're not your brain. See, this is what you have to do. You have to stop. I have to stop. We as humanity have to stop and get over it and acknowledge we're not the creator. He is the great I am. I'm the great I'm not. I am the creator. I'm not the creator. I am the one who made the heavens and the earth. I'm not the one who made the heavens and the earth. I know all things. I do not know all things. And uh, we ask him, what should we do? And thankfully, he doesn't say he's inviting us to uh, some kind of sadistic thing that the Greek gods would do to us, some type of weird, torturous place where they are entertained by us. No, it's literally his desire for his creating us to go to a party. And it's up to us now whether or not we deserve to come. So he said, those guys don't deserve to come. Let's go to the street corners. Let's go preach. Let's send out the servants to go find anybody. And listen, I don't want you to judge them if they're bad or they're good. What I just want you guys to do is I want you to fill up this place. I want you to invite them. I want you to let them know there's an invitation for them. How many are happy somebody came and preached the gospel to you? How many are glad they weren't waiting for you to become good? They weren't saying you were too bad. Somebody came to you with an invitation. Now that gave you a choice. 
That's what he says to do. And friends, that's why we still go out to the streets. That's why you're just supposed to go out to the streets because if you know the end of the story and you're already in the party, you're ready for Jesus and all of that, it's your job to keep spreading that word. I'm talking about the dude that got two tears on the side of his eye. Go talk to that guy. I'm talking about your boss that you don't like. Go talk to that person. I'm talking about all these politicians. I'm talking about from the richest to the poorest to everybody in between. We know that they may be bad or good. We know that they may have problems and some of them may be nicer than others, but we're going to go give them the invitation and let them now make their choice so that the wedding hall will be filled with guests. How many know there will not be one empty seat in heaven? I know sometimes here on earth we have parties and we get disappointed when somebody doesn't come and we're like, oh man, they were planning on coming. I'll tell you what, it hurts me even more now that I've gotten older and I have kids and my kids are planning on your kids coming. And then if you drop out last minute, I want to go over to your house and deliver you a special message, you know. I'm like, just tell me you're not coming. Don't tell me you're not, you know, tell me a couple weeks. Don't say you're coming. And then tell me like half hour before we're supposed to expect you, you're not coming. Now I got to go tell little Joy, your little friend's not coming. Your friend doesn't love you. No, I'm kidding. Your little, no, your friend's parents don't know how to organize their life. Well, you get upset with me like that. You get upset, but you know it's tight, but it's right. There's not going to be an empty seat in heaven. Listen to me, my friends. I'm going to be very honest with you. If none of my children go to heaven, I'm going and I'm going happy and I'll love the people I sit next to. I'm not going just because my kids are going. I'm going for Jesus, number one. Kids, you want to come? I'll teach you how to get there. You're at 18. You want to go to hell? Okay, see you on judgment day. You say, how could you be like that? Jesus is like that. He made all of us, loves us more than we could ever love our children and has said, it's still your choice. If Jesus was willing to lose Adam and Eve, he's willing to lose you if you don't want him. If Jesus was willing to lose Judas, he's willing to lose us. It's up to you. Every one of my children back there got to make their own decisions. Do you want to serve God or not? Every one of them. No one, listen to me, no one can go to heaven for the quote-unquote noble reason of I want to be with my family. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, unless you hate your family, you can't love me. That's in the Bible. Look it up if you don't believe me. Look it up. Why did he say something like that? Does he want us to be mad and curse out our parents? And no, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. The word hate there that he said, if you do not hate your own mother Father, brother, sister, wife, children, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple, means anything that tries to be the number one in your life, you have to say, I can't let you do that. So I'm not serving God, so my wife serves God. I'm not serving God, so my kids serve God. I'm not serving God, so you have somebody to look up to in life. I'm serving God because I'm a wretched sinner deserving of hell. And when he went on that cross, he took my sins. I owe him everything. Before I ever met you, before I knew my wife, before I ever had fun in procreation and made six babies, there was a decision that Jesus and I made together. It was a simple decision. You invited me, I'm coming. That's it. Somebody doesn't want to come, that's all right. I'm not saying it's going to be always happy, but I'm saying I'm going. And you know what I hope and pray? I hope my children go. I hope you go. But here's the thing. You have to make a decision that you're going for the king 
and for the king alone. It's not the king plus all of these other things. It's the king. And uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book. It's called The Great Divorce. In The Great Divorce, a fictional story, he talks about what it would be like if people could actually leave hell and meet the people they know and love in heaven. What would that be like? Would that point of discussion actually change people's minds to want to leave hell and be in heaven. Now understand C.S. Lewis believes in hell just like the way we do, and he understands that it's a matter of choice to be where God is not. So he builds it on that premise. And so what it starts with is a mother who's been in hell, never wanted Jesus, but her daughter's in heaven. She goes up to meet with her daughter, and she says to her daughter, I'm so glad I get to be with you now. I didn't like being where I was. I want to be with you now and be reunited. I'm here to be your mother. Aren't you happy I'm here? And the daughter says, well, I'm glad you're here. But in heaven, we don't need mothers anymore. Only God. Oh, you don't need mothers. I'm the one that took care of you. I knew you from such a young age. I did all of this for you. I sacrificed my whole life for you. And the daughter goes, yes, you did. But it was God who gave me to you. It was God who gave you the strength to take care of me. It was God who gave you love to give me. And mom, you never thank God for all of those things. So you can't come to heaven, mom, unless you thank God for being a mom. The mom starts to get a little upset. You mean that God wants me to stop being your mother to come to heaven? Well, not so much like that, but God wants you to admit you need him and that you want him more than being a mother. You mean God wants me to not be a mother? That's who I am. I would rather go to hell than to serve that God. It's a good book. It's a good book. It makes you think, why do people really go to hell? It's because they don't want a God that comes first. But in this story, the ones who don't put God first don't deserve to come. Those who get the invitation and say, I'll drop whatever I'm doing, I'm coming right now, they get to come. And then lastly, verse 11, we hear about a mystery person. We're all there at the party, and there's somebody that's not dressed in wedding clothes, and they're now kicked out of the party, and it says, tie them hand and foot, throw them in the darkness, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like hell to me. In the middle of the parable, Jesus got really true. It wasn't just symbolism anymore. Reality just slapped him in the face. There's somebody getting tossed out into hell right now. A lot of theologians have discussed who is that person. Some people have suggested maybe it's Judas. Judas has been around Jesus, but Judas doesn't really want to be clothed with Jesus. And so on judgment day, Judas is going to get cast out. He won't be with them. We don't know. It's a good guess. Another group of people think that this is the backslidden church. They've been doing the right thing, loving Jesus, but they don't want to live for Jesus 24-7. And so on judgment day, he says, you're not really of me. He casts them out. Some people think it's Satan. All I know is this, is that if you don't come to this wedding dressed right, you're thrown out to a place where you gnash your teeth in darkness. How many want to dress right now? Well, some people have taken this and maybe taken it too far and said, well, this means when we come to church, we all better dress up. That's not what it means. 
That's not what it means. Hey, how do you dress? How, how did we go from dressing like fishermen and carpenters, that's what Jesus was, to now dressing up a man like a woman and then calling him father, bedazzling all of his purple robes? Are you listening to me? Flowery designs, a big pointy hat. Uh, excuse me, sir. I don't think Jesus dressed like that. I don't see Jesus building a house like that. I don't see Peter fishing looking like you, sir. Why do you have bedazzle on? What's wrong with you? Can we dress normal? Now, listen, if you like coming to this church and dressing up, please do. Uh, but the, the standard is dress appropriate. Don't dress in vanity to get attention. And don't dress perverted or any type of way for people to look at you and stumble and fall. But come comfortable. Most people have common sense to do that. But here we see the wedding clothes determine whether or not you get to party or go to hell. How many know we got to understand a little bit more about the wedding clothes if it's that important? Well, here's how it goes in the parable. At that time, kings would do these kinds of things, invite their people to a party. But the kings understood that not everybody can come really dressed up. But they wanted that for them and for the party so that everybody would feel like they fit in. They would have wardrobes for those who didn't have the money. And that was how they could get the clothes. Hey, man, I don't have the clothes. Can I get it? Now, I don't know if you've ever actually been in this situation, but I've only seen it on TV or movies where a guy goes to a nice restaurant and he's not dressed appropriately and somebody says, excuse me, sir, you can't come in without a jacket. And he goes, I don't got a jacket. And then what do they say? Oh, but we got one over here. Have you seen that in a movie or a TV show? I've seen that. That's the idea here. And so whoever has come, this person, which I tend to think it's a backslide, a backslide or a backslid in church. We see this in Revelation. It says you're naked, wretched, and blind. So there's a nakedness that's attributed to your sin. And then the Bible says in that same passage, come to me and I'll clothe you in righteousness. So we may not know exactly who the man is, but we can get some ideas here. But here's the one thing we can know. The clothes are the clothes of righteousness, and everyone has to put them on to come and party with Jesus. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Let me show you. Somebody say, show me, Pastor. Amen. I would love to show you because you better come dressed right. Everyone is invited, but only those who deserve to come will come. And those who come must come in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. Now, can anybody here make the righteous robes of Christ? No, you can't. I can't. But aren't you glad Jesus provided it? Look at it right here, 5, verse 21 in 2 Corinthians. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now go to Revelation chapter 3 where I was referencing that before. And he's rebuking the church of Laodicea. And he says, you're wicked and you're, you're naked. But look at, look at the next verses that come afterward. Say, start in verse 19, uh, 18. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear. Does Jesus have it for us? He does. He paid for it on the cross so that all of our sins could be washed away. We would be as white as snow, clothed in the righteousness of God. He says, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. If we go back to the, the text, 
Jesus now ends with this famous saying, and I hope you understand it better today, that many are invited. Many are called over to the party, but only a few are chosen. So let's go through it again. There's a king. He's our father. His son is Jesus, and he's preparing a wedding feast. It's going to be awesome. The Jews of that time were the ones first invited, but they didn't want it. Now he is inviting the world, and we're actually in this time right now. And it's up to you whether or not you come. And if you come, you better come correct. Don't come just in religion. Don't just come saying, well, I go to church. No, come in the righteousness of Christ. Come repenting of your sin, saying, Jesus, transform me and live your life for him, and you will be the few that are chosen. So if you and I die today, are you the chosen? I am. How many are the chosen here today? Amen. Let's talk about taxes. Are you ready? Switching gears. That's, that's a hard gear to get into right now. But we're going to switch it. We're going to get right into it. And then we'll close out today just to keep honoring the words of Jesus. So after Jesus tells that parable, the Pharisees went out, laid plans to trap him in his words. How many know they hate him and they're looking for a reason to kill him? We've heard that earlier on in the story. And they won't get that way to do it until Judas turns. So that's going to happen here pretty soon. So right now, they're still trying to be sneaky sneak on the sly, trying to catch him. So they sent their disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians, people who were part of Herod's family. And they said, teacher, <clears throat> excuse me, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. How many know they're just buttering them up? You know that. We know you're a man of God. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, many of you don't understand this, but this is a real question. The Romans oppressed them. This would be like you asking uh, a person that wanted to free the slaves, should we still be uh, giving our money to the, the slave master, this wicked person? Should we still be doing this? And what they want him to do is answer wrongly because then they can go tell the Romans, hey, Romans, hey, Romans, guess what? There's this guy over here that doesn't want to pay his taxes, and we're willing to pay our taxes, but he doesn't want to pay his taxes. Put him to death. So they asked Jesus this real tough question. I mean, because it almost sounds like if you affirm paying your taxes to Caesar, you're cool with what Caesar is doing. Let's see what Jesus says in verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and what? To God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. How many know that's an amazing answer? That's awesome. He takes the coin and he goes, Yep, we're oppressed. I get it. But whose image is on this? Give it back to him. Just give it back to them. And as you're doing that, give back to God what is God's. So let me give you a couple applications as you refresh this, because I have something I want to show here. Here's a picture, so refresh it, please. I added it in the break. Number one, you need to pay your taxes. 
This is a godly way to help you understand you have to pay your taxes. Okay? Now, if you are here illegally and you're using somebody's wrong, uh, using a social security number, you need to start being legal. Don't put this up right now. I'll tell you when to do it, please. It gets quiet, but I know we're also distracted. Just go to the passage. There you go. If you're here illegally, we are kind, compassionate to immigrants. We're all immigrants aside from the Native Americans, right? Uh, so we're, we're compassionate towards you. But listen, lying and stealing will not help you. Do your best. Do your best to make it right. Do your best. Pay your taxes. Number two, those of us who are legal citizens, pay your right taxes. Don't lie on your taxes. And I know it gets quiet when I preach like this, but I'm telling you, there's a federal prison with a lot of people who sat in churches like this, and their pastor didn't keep it real with them. I'm trying to help you right now. Pay your taxes. Number three, pay as little as you have to. Get smart with your taxes. Don't break a single law, but come into your tax place and say, how do I pay the least? How many know that's smart? Does anybody come in and say, I'll pay the most? Thank you very much. See, y'all get mad at the rich, but you ain't never been rich before. That's why. Once you start getting rich, trust me, you don't want to give all that tax money away either. Hey, think about it. No one really wants to pay a lot of taxes. Now, do I think there's a fair share in there somewhere? Yeah, and I know the tax laws are, are hard and to understand, and I wish it was just a flat tax, and then maybe as you moved up a bracket, let's say it's a flat tax of 10% for everybody. That's how the Jewish people did it. And then after that, maybe we could say if you make every 500,000 or 1,000, you get another 2%. Okay, whatever. My point is this. Number one, Become legal. If you're not legal, do the best you can. Number two, do not lie on your taxes. This is all Caesar's money, people. And then number three, be wise. It's okay to go in there and say, do I get a write-off for this? I've been driving my car to work for this. Do I get a write-off for this? I got six kids. Do I get money back? Come on, man. I'm helping American culture right here. I'm paying back into that security that everybody's been spending in, in Washington, right? I got six workers here. That's okay. So understand taxes are a part of life. They've been a part of people's life for a long time. Two things you can count on is death and taxes, right? So be godly. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, Okay. Now, how about God? What does God get? Are you breathing in lungs? Did you make those? No, give back your lungs to God with praise. Use your, use your voice. Use your lungs. Use your, use your life to give God glory and praise. Did you give yourself your brain? It's God's, right? Give it back to God. Think on his thoughts. Did you give yourself the mobility that you have today in your life? No. Use your mobility to serve God. And is serving God only just in church when we meet here? No. Serve God on your job. Do all things as unto God. Serve God while you're in traffic for, for God's sake. Please, I need you to. We need to make a better city in traffic, don't we? Serve God while you're in school. Before I take any of my tests or study, I say, Lord, help me to do my best on this. I want to give you a testimony. Would you put it up now for me, please? Thank you, guys. So I got a little side gig, uh, and I want to say this very clearly. The church has taken care of my wife and I for many, many years. I am not complaining. But now I have started doing a little bit of Uber and a little bit of Lyft on the side, 
And I've met some people from the church, and when they didn't know I was doing this, they, you know, as I picked them up, they're like, Pastor, is everything okay? I can't believe this is you. And I, like, I told them, I said, yeah, I'm living in the back of my truck. I'm trying to get some money to go stay at the Mobile 6. My wife kicked me out. It's hard times. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, but people are like, what are you doing, Pastor? No, here's the deal. I'm a very smart businessman. The church has taken care of my family so I can have six kids. There is a lot of money we're putting in savings and doing all of that. But I'm 42 and I still have some wants. It's not a midlife crisis. I call it a midlife cherry on top because I've been through some stuff and I want some nice things. Is that okay? If you don't want nice things, that's fine. I just want a few nice things. It's a truck and a boat. That's it. Truck and a boat. Truck and a boat. That's it. That's all I want. So, so anyways, I was thinking about this. As I talked to you guys about it a few weeks ago, and I was just praying, I said, God, I know 10% always belongs to you. We call that the tithe. That's our way of breaking greed off of our life, that we always say 10% belongs to God. It was taught in the Old Testament and New Testament. But offering is something that doesn't come with a set percentage. You have to sit and pray and go, God, how do I give offerings? You know, and for me, one of my favorite places to give offerings is to missions. And so now that I was making more money, my first question wasn't, how do I spend it? My first question was, God, how much do I give back to you? God said, start at 5% for missions. We'll go from there. I said, yes, boss, I'm happy to do it. So now I work and 15% goes to the Lord, 10 to the church, 5 to missions. Are you listening? So I just wanted to check the other day, how am I doing? So I only need to make about $7.50 a week. That's all I need for this side gig. It's fun. I do it while my kids are at the, the church activities. I mean, what would I do during Elevate time if my kids are here for four hours? You know, I could show up at a life group, but then everybody's going to be like, Pastor, are you teaching? And I'm like, no, I'm here to just listen. But then they're going to ask me questions. And then Pastor Burr is going to be like, why are they all going to you now? Everybody's asking you to pray for them. And I'm like, I'm just trying to hang out. So I said, I'll just do a side gig. Okay, so. I wanted to look at the tips because you know you don't have to tip when you take an Uber or Lyft, okay? Yeah, y'all got quiet because I can tell. A lot of people don't tip. So I just wanted to look at the tips. Do you know that roughly each one of these, because I started both at the same time, Lyft and Uber, that I have made 15% off my main profit in tips. Look at it. Uber, I made $238 just on the trips but made $32 in tips. That's about 14, 15%. Lyft this week made $371 and $54 in tips. See, I'm giving God what is God's. God has already made up the 15% that I said I would give him. I would love for him just to raise that a little bit because the more we give, the more we receive in the body of Christ. You see, I'm not afraid to put my numbers up there. You want to put yours? Are you giving back to God what is God's? You see, because right now, y'all look at that, and that's, that's not a lot of money because most of you need more than that, you know? But it just shows you in the little bit that I started with, I tested God at his word. He said, give and you shall receive. He says, give and it will be given back to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. My friends, what are you going to do to give back to God? What are you going to do? I've already tested God, and I got 15% back. Now, you can get mad or you can get obedient. I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to look at that coin and then read what it says, or that dollar bill. Read what it says and believe it. In God we 
trust. In Microsoft, we trust. In the stocks, we trust. In, in uh, Google, we trust. In wherever I work, we trust. No, no, no. In God, we trust. I want you to do that this week. Pray about it. See what the Lord asks you to give. Talk to me in six months and show me your numbers. Because I have never seen the righteous forsaken or them begging for bread. And if you ask me, would I still do it if I was losing money? Absolutely. God checked my heart right at the beginning when I got saved. He said, will you serve me if you're broke the rest of your life? I said, Jesus, I'll serve you if I have to serve broke people the rest of my life. And I'm broker than broke. I'm poorer than poor. I was so happy just to be invited to the king's wedding. Is anybody in here today that's just happy to be invited to the king's wedding? And if we've got to work hard and maybe we don't see a lot on this earth, it would still be worth it. But I'm thankful that as I work hard for Jesus, not only do I get the heavenly experience that's coming after I die, but I get blessings on this earth. And favor's not fair. You can get mad, like I said, or you can get obedient and get blessed. How many want to give back to Caesar what belongs to him and give some stuff to God? Amen. Let's stand up and give it up today. Come on. We thank you, Lord. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Father, we thank you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that what belongs to you is really everything. And the fact that you let us keep some of it just shows you how good of a father you really are.